What you are about to listen to is an audio file that was lifted directly from a YouTube presentation. And this was a Zoom talk where I had a conversation with Sharon Hewitt Rollett. Now, I'm going to reintroduce everything just in a moment here, but I just wanted to let you know that this was initially a video presentation of a Zoom call. And it's all very clear when you watch it on video. It's quite obvious it's a Zoom call, but it might not be obvious to you, the listener, in this podcast format. The video begins with me saying, I'm an author, and then there's an image of the cover. So, in the video, you get to see the title, which is The Unseen. But that doesn't help much if you're listening to this audio podcast format. So, let me state it up front nice and clear. I wrote a book. The title of the book is The Unseen. This is a fiction book. This is a novel. This is a huge departure from my previous nonfiction works. And that felt important to include here at the beginning. Uh, There's not much reason to say much more. I'm going to jump in and you will hear my voice again, uh, this time spoken outside. You'll hear some birds in the background. Uh, Here goes. My name is Mike Cleland and I wrote a novel. This was quite a departure for me. And the process of writing this book was was really an internal work. Uh, What follows is a conversation with my friend and colleague, Sharon Hewitt-Rollett. Now, Sharon was the very first person to read this book in its entirety. And she was very complimentary to me. And I will say complimentary in a way that left me more than a little bit humbled. And I asked her to have this talk. What follows will be about 40 minutes of conversation. And I asked her to have this talk to help me promote the book. So I'm just being fair, straight up. Part of the reason for this conversation is to let people know about the book. And the other part would be just to give, a, give an idea of the genesis of the book and the creative process that went along with that. No need to say much more. Please enjoy our conversation. Before we start this conversation, I would like to do a proper introduction for Sharon. Her full name is Sharon Hewitt Rollett, PhD. And she has a website, which is SharonRollett.com. And Sharon has a PhD in philosophy from New York University uh, that is also my alma mater. I didn't quite make it past my freshman year, but uh, I did go there. And she also taught at Brandeis University before she launched her career as an independent writer and researcher. Now, she has a handful of books out. One of them is Beyond Death. Now, this is a short little book where she discusses the complexities of the near-death experience. This is also available as an audiobook. She wrote a big, fat book called The Source and Significance of Coincidence, and I can very much recommend this very comprehensive work. She also wrote a book, which is also an audiobook, called The Feeling of Value, and she wrote a memoir. And this book is titled The Supreme Victory of the Heart, And the subtitle is A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Synchronicity. And I have read that book, and it is very touching. And I hope that book becomes an audiobook someday. Okay, that's her introduction. Let's roll right on into the conversation. Sharon, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to talking with me about 
my book and and it really means a lot to me so thank you well it's really my pleasure i i i am just really in awe of what you have created here uh so i yeah i'm really looking forward to getting to tell you all the wonderful things that i've discovered in your in your writing okay so so Full disclosure, I am from Michigan, so I was born and raised in the Midwest. So I am predisposed to like be really super awkward when people compliment me. So th- I'm going to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And <laughs> well, I'm, you better I'm get used pla- to it, Mike. <laughs> I know I'm in a place of disbelief in a lot of ways because this project has been um, so personal. First, let's—I haven't seen the cover. Like I haven't actually—I wow. don't have a physical copy of the cover of the book itself. Here it is. Great. Um, yeah, you've got a featured quote on the back. And um, and then we yeah, did have the discussion. Was... If you look at the very front of it, there's like up in the corner, it says a paranormal thriller. I actually yes. want to, and I may change this, but I, I have really debated paranormal thriller or a paranormal thriller. And, and I, I'm a little older than you. And there was a chapter of like book publishing where there was some trashy kind of like pulpy books and they had the little ribbon or they had a little thing in that upper left corner that would say, you know, something like a romance novel, or it would say, you know, detective action or something like that. The book started as a comic book in its inception and I was going to draw mm-hmm. it. I was going to draw the whole thing. And I, and I know some people in the comic no. book industry. Yes, I did that on purpose. It's I know. No, like- I mean, yeah, I can see it. It's meant to look like you found it and it's dirty. Like I made the cover look all kind of grubby and dirty and old. And, and I wanted it to feel like you found this book, like in an old secondhand store and like, what is this book? What is this thing? (laughs) And I wanted it to have that little retro feel of the little tag there. And also, you know, when it, without the tag, it looks like a cowboy story. It totally looks like a cowboy, you know. Like you, you, oh, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's true. It looks like it's going to be like, you know, old Bart, you know, was like, you know, working the ranch, you know, or something like that. And that's not what it is at all. So, but I, but um, the cowboy no, costume yeah. is very much a costume in the story. So, but also, I feel like for anybody who knows your work already, especially your memoir, this scene here in the Southwest is very much for me, it reminds me of the cover of your memoir. And so I'm oh, like, okay, we're going back so- into that mind set that was a hundred percent on purpose yeah yeah so i actually kind of like i didn't want to copy that exactly and i actually had one person who lived in moab who who knew the who that's called the um the apostles the the uh rock feature on the cover of the hidden experience book as well as the blog is a picture i took hiking in moab probably 15 years ago and then one person said i know where that i came around a corner and i was like that's your blog and so (laughs) I'm looking at the camera here and talking to the audience now. Like I poured myself into this project in the strangest ways where I was like, I didn't, I didn't have a deadline. I'd got this idea to start a comic book and then the comic book kind of fizzled because I just realized I didn't have the energy to actually do the entire thing, to write it, to draw it, to color it, to publish it. I just like, like, yeah, I, that would I have just, been, Oh, it would yeah. never happen. <laughs> you could have spent the rest of your life doing that. And so I, um, I put it on a shelf and then some years later, like it was on, it was like hidden on my computer and I did a nice solid treatment of the story that I wanted to tell. And I, and I finished the uh, second book, the stories from the messengers book. And I said, Oh no, I got to do something. And I pulled this thing out and this treatment, I was like, you know, there's something here. There's something to this treatment. I think I'm going to follow, follow, you know, and then I spent a summer trying to write and I got nowhere. I got nowhere. And I just got 
I just, I just fully recognized that, that I was overwhelmed. And then after that, there came a point when I was like, it, it, I kind of crossed the halfway point or something, you know, I, and it was like, oh, I've done too much to turn back now. Like I got to mm-hmm. finish this. And then I didn't really know where the story was going at times. And it was a, wow, it was a tough thing to, to trust myself and actually follow through with the, with the writing. So anyway, that was, the, that's sort of my backstory on the, I guess the inherent insecurities of being an author in this kind of thing. Well, and especially moving into a genre that you haven't done before. I mean, you, so you've, you've written nonfiction, you've written memoir and now coming to fiction. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I've, I'm a nonfiction author who has tried my hand at, at fiction, but has just been like, no, I just don't know what to do there. I just know that that's not my thing that I'm able to do. Um, so I was actually really curious when you said you were working on a novel and then when you sent it to me, I was like, so how is he going to be at like writing fiction? Because these aren't, these aren't the same set of skills. And I was just blown away at what a good fiction author you are. Like you, you obviously have this innate talent for telling stories and, and for the, for the subtle artistry that is that is part of fiction writing whereas you know when i'm in my like nonfiction universe i have this very analytical hat and i'm you know just being very you know paying a lot of attention to all these little details and making sure that everything is exactly right and and i feel like i'm not able to bring the imagination and the and the creativity and the and the subtlety to the fiction that needs to be there, but you have, you have done that in just this amazing way. Like you've created this whole, you've created this. Well, I think you've talked about it, how it's a, it's a mood. Like it's this, it's this universe, but this universe is kind of inside this man's head, right? So it's, it's his internal universe and his experience of the world around him. And I feel like I'm able to inhabit his experience in a way that I couldn't inhabit the experience, even, even if somebody writing a memoir or, or, you know, if somebody in a description in a nonfiction book about somebody's synchronistic experiences or somebody's UFO encounters, there's always this level of distance. And I feel like in your book, the distance is gone and now we're living it along with the character and we can get, lost in the for me so much of it of of why i feel like i'm right in it is the uncertainty mm-hmm. that we feel and because we feel his his uncertainty you know he's he's you know in the, the first part of the book he's out here he's walking through the desert he's compelled by something he doesn't know what it is he kind of thinks like he might end up dead by the end of this journey right and but yet he can't he can't stop doing what he's doing and he has all these little things that are happening along the way these little synchronicities that are enabling him to continue this journey which by the way i i think the way that you present his experience of synchronicity is masterful because you don't you don't point it out you don't say oh this synchronistic thing just happened mm-hmm. oh wow wasn't this awesome you just very subtly he he you know, he's out here in the desert and he realizes that he has a need for something. And then in the next paragraph, like this weird sort of thing happens and suddenly the need is met 
and he continues on his way. And it's just, it's just beautiful the way that you do that. Cause it, it doesn't feel heavy handed the way, the way that it could. Instead, it's just like, well, this is just part of the landscape almost. This is his part of his experience of moving through this desert landscape and, and finding it somehow meeting his needs in these semi-miraculous ways. So, so I love that element of it. I love the fact that we can just kind of be in his experience of it. And he doesn't, he doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't, he doesn't know what the end game of this is. He doesn't know if there's some, you know, design or purpose to what's happening to him. He's just trying to, he's tried one way of living and now he's, he's like, he feels impelled to, to walk away from it and try something else. And he's going to see where it takes him. And I, I was amazed too. Um, I told you this before, but reading the, the first draft of it, not the first draft, but the first one that I got to read, um, I, re- I, you know, I was like a hundred pages in and I was like, this is a hundred pages of this guy walking through the desert and said, how, how does Mike make this so compelling? Like, why do I, like, I keep turning the page. Like it's, I'm on the edge of my seat and all that's happening is this guy walking through the desert. So on my second read through the book, I'm like trying to figure out how did he do this? Like, how did he make this so gripping so that I can't stop reading it? Cause I couldn't stop reading it on my second time through either. Well, here, let me just a question. Did you read the yeah. full book since you got it again? Um, no, I am. I'm about oh, there. I got it. Okay, about so hundred pages. And yeah, okay. I just got two days ago. So, <laughs> okay. That's uh, what I'm wondering. I was like, yeah. wow, you might be, you're allowed but to no, see but it. No, but it, so. but I just, and so what I've realized in reading it again is you, you're using these really, some really cool techniques. You know, there's a lot of, um, sort of backstory about his life that's coming in during this time. So we're sort of fleshing out where he is as a person, where he is emotionally, what it is he's, he might be searching for. Uh, so there, it, there's this, there's this really rich texture to everything that's happening in those hundred pages, even though it's, you know, if you tried to like, um, put it on a storyboard. You know, if you're going to make a screenplay of it, it would seem like, well, yeah, it's just guys just walking through the desert. But there's so much happening inside of him, and so much happening as he's thinking about his past and these strange events that have followed him for decades in his life. So, yeah, I I I love the book. If that isn't obvious uh, so far. So for oh. for the for the listeners, you received a PDF of the document well, probably over a month ago. Yeah. And so in between me sending you that document, there came a point. Now this there just came a point when it was just like like I like the book was essentially done. It needed to be cleaned up, but there was this point where it was like, I could just I gotta get this out. I gotta get this out. And it was like a kind of mania. Like actually, you know, it's funny, my my email broke on my computer. And I'm convinced it was just like this, this wave of angst just fried it, you know, and I was and I so I sent it out. And it, I knew it wasn't perfect. I knew there were like, spelling errors and typos and stuff in it. But I just had to just had to like, start the process of pushing mm-hmm. it forward. And in that month and a half, I worked oh, so hard, I probably read the book in one form or another, 10 times. Yeah. And just scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. And I worked with an editor and she was great. Her name is Laura Bruno. And um, she was in uh, 
the stories from the messenger's book. There's a whole chapter on her. And she really gave me permission to like, believe that this book was a real book. And she kind of gave me this stern talking to like, <laughs> like you, this is an important book. You don't want to put this out. If it's got us, you know, spelling errors or the commas are in the wrong place. And I was like, okay, like, like I'm, I'm like, yes, well, we're going to make this happen. So where before I think I would have treated it like, hey, it's a self-published book. And it, yeah, if there's just some typos in there, I'm just going to like, like, I want the story out there, but, it it changed in that. And part of that I have to say was mm-hmm. your, you got back to me right away. So with all the compliments and I was like, Oh no, now this, this is a strong, powerful book. Well, I just want to say one thing about that. So yeah, you said that I got back to you the first of anybody because I did, I did start reading it right away. Cause I, I was very curious again. I was like, okay, how is Mike going to be at fiction writing? And so I start reading the first little bit just to get an idea. I'm like, Oh, this, this is good. Let's see what happens. And so I just got pulled in right away. And so I think it took me maybe four days because I could only read in the evening. So I read it every evening for four days and finished it. Um, but I have to let you know this because I don't think you knew this, but I actually was recovering from a terrible eye infection at the time. And my vision was really bad. I had like scar tissue on my eyes oh, from no. this eye infection. And you, so you said the, this entire, much, yeah. the entire time that I'm reading your book, like I... I, I had double vision, like all of the, the words were not quite on the page, were not quite um, in focus. So I'm just letting you know, it was that good that I was reading through all of that blurriness oh. because I wanted to. And how are your eyes do doing now? Um, they are much better. The scar tissue seems to have completely gone away. So, oh, that... yeah. Yeah, fortunately. And um so you said of the first hundred pages, so that's a PDF. The page count doesn't match the actual page number of the book that, yeah. that you received. So it's probably less than a hundred pages that he's walking in the desert in the, yeah, it might be now. In the, yeah. the present one. And um, so the question I ask everyone, like a handful of people, cause I was like worried that it was going to be boring. The stuff in the desert, like, Oh, like how was the stuff in the desert? Like, did it drag on? And, and people said the same thing. They said almost like they were well, like, where's this going? Like, like this should be dragging on, but it's not that. So that was the feedback I got. And I asked one woman and I'm not going to use her name. She hasn't given me permission, but she read the whole book. She just sent me a note yesterday and said, I finished your book. And I said, like I said, how was this stuff in the desert? Did it drag on? And she said, it was a ritual as old as time. I was like, oh, okay. Well, like that was kind of what I was, <clears throat> I keep on saying, like, I've said this many times where I like say, I'm, I wrote a book here, like the surface level, but underneath I was trying to tell a different story. So that would have been, she got it. You know, there was yeah. a ritual that was taking place while he was out there. And I got, I, I, that was my idea. Like, oh, I'm going to put him through this kind of like walkabout kind of mm-hmm. internal journey. And, um, and then I would start writing and I would just get kind of lost. And, and then it, you know, I would just write the day-to-day stuff. I was like, oh, he's got a drink and where, how does he get his water? And just, you know, like, and that thing, there's a thing that happened. And I wondered if I did it too many times, but I've done it many times in the desert where I'll be walking and I'll like, there's water around here somewhere. Mm -hmm. I know there's water here somewhere. And I'll like, you know, like I'll follow my nose and like, sure enough, there's often not much, but there I'll find water, you know, like a little trickle or something like that. So, um, that was like I have a lot of experience in the outdoors and well, and that very much comes across. And I think that was one of the major reasons too, that I found those, those pages with him walking through the desert. So compelling, because I think if I hadn't known 
all of your personal experience in that environment. I might have been like, yeah, you know, he's just some writer who did some research on this and he's, you know, kind of trying to, you know, describe what it would be like if this guy were walking the desert. And instead I knew, no, Mike has done <laughs> this kind of walk through the desert. Mike knows all the, so all of the, your descriptions of how things looked and how things smelled and how things felt just felt so real to me. And I felt like I was, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was reading somebody's imagination. I felt like I was reading a, a real experience. And, and it was, um, so like, I'm a, I was a professional, I outdoor educator for over 20 years. And yeah. so I've like taught people and I'm so like, wow, if I wanted to write, and I have written in instructionals and stuff like that. So I'm like, right. I could really, really, go. <laughs> so it was really as a challenge to me was to kind of like undertell it, like, well, like fine. <laughs> don't know what I'm doing because it was obviously he had some experience in the character and but I have more and so I was kind of had to like kind of undertell it and just so a lot of it is you know overlaid with his appreciation of the of the environment now so mm -hmm. um do you know who Edward Abbey is he's an author he wrote a book yeah. called Desert Solitaire yeah mm -hmm. so so that was a big inspiration for me yeah. this Edward Abbey's work and his book is specifically Desert Solitaire yeah yeah the whole the appreciation for the physical landscape is very much part of this book and mm -hmm. i yeah it's it just it brings together so much like it's not it's not just a paranormal thriller I mean, it's definitely not just a paranormal thriller i mean it is a thriller and it is paranormal but it's also it's also a, a deeply ecological book it's also um a love story it's also a spiritual book like it's just it's all of those things in one story and i i can't think of another book that combines all of that as beautifully as as your oh, book thank has. you thank yeah. you um so so that story is just he he eventually arrives at a little town. You met Josh Cutchin at the at the conference, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So um, Joshua kind of like said, you know, like I was reading, I didn't know where this was going. Like where I like I kept on like turning the page, like what, what's is this the whole book going to be? This guy, so it's not. So for people out there, it's well, like yeah, a goodly it's, percentage. It's about a no. quarter of the book, maybe less. It's, actually, it's really just a setup for everything else that happens. And, but. Yeah, and so so he arrives at a little town and then there are some spoilers that I'm not going to go there. But like yeah. he arrives in the town and the town is written to be very. Um, I mean, I, the town is kind of this desolate, empty town at the end of the road. And there's a yeah. bridge that fell down. So you, so you can only, it's the, almost like a the, ghost town, but not it's just on the verge there's of being a, a ghost there. town. And there's the people there, all kind of these lost souls and or people that are choosing to be hermits in a way. And, but Joshua said, you better put that in the book description on Amazon that like, like he's going to arrive somewhere. Like oh, you don't yeah. want someone just holding, reading this book and like this big fat book and like, where well, is he going to, is he going to ever get anywhere? So he does get somewhere and it, it's about the first quarter of the book. He, he arrives there. Well, I did. I, think, I appreciated too, that in the book description, now you've got spiraling twists, psychic spies, um, and oh, that mind was you, I think. adventure. You, you... Well, yeah, I, I you got to put something about the, <laughs> about these, you know, former government agents or, or current government agents in the, it's a little mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, in here because that's definitely part of the story and it's and again it's like another dimension of of what's going on there but it's people need to know like that's coming 
and and it was because I'm not like I I didn't feel like I was capable. Like if you if you actually did this as a stage play, you'd only need about five or so people, right? There's really not that many characters, no. five or six, right? So it's a it's like a pretty intimate little story as far as the number of characters that are actually part of the overall story. And um, I just I didn't have it in me to try to have some big ensemble cast in in the story. So um, I did that on purpose, kept it really sparse as far as the people you're interacting with. But um, and then I'll also say that people who are familiar with me know this, but for people who aren't over the last decade, I have been collecting stories based on owls and UFOs. And this book takes advantage of the wealth of information that I have collected over the years. I do not tell anyone else's story like word for word, but I certainly hint it or I use their stories as like a, as like a plot point and none of them are told exactly. So, so there's no confidentiality or anything like that, that I've crossed any lines with, but, and, and then I'll actually have to say a lot of the, the little subplots of the points within the plot are things that either happened to me or happened to people I know pretty well. And, um, like the the book is weird. Mm-hmm. Got a, it's kind of got a weird. Yeah. The the weirdest stuff in the book happened. Like basically, right. is based on real life right. events. So that has been. That has been. That was a challenge for me to tell the story and plug those little things in, and then just kind of like to turn it into the fiction so it flows smoothly from one point to the next. And I'll also say that something, so when I was writing it, like I get really myopic, right? You get totally sucked in and you're like, okay, now I've got to work on this sentence. So now I got to work on this adjective. And now I got to work on this comma. And I just feel like I was like focused, focused, focused on these tiny little things. And then, and then when I kind of got to a point where I like, okay. And I was writing on, do you know what Scrivener is? It's an application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have your chapters are all separate and there's a way to push a button and it turns it all into one document. So when I finally read it as one document, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is like, this really races fast. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be like this drudgery. And it's like, it's jumps from scene to scene to scene to scene. And it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. I felt a little bit like, like Dan Brown or something like that, where you're <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to make the the reader feel like, you know, overwhelmed by the pace of it, but it really zips along, which is something I did not expect. I wanted it to be streamlined, but that really surprised me when I, no, when I, I thought the pacing was, was excellent throughout the book. Like it, yeah, it was, it, 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 there's the sort of rhythm and simplicity of the, of the prose too. Like it's just, um, it contributes to that, I think, because it's like, there's nothing extraneous, like everything that's there is there for a reason. And we just, each little bit of description is 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 setting up what's going to happen next. It's setting this tone that allows you to appreciate the next turn in the plot. And yeah, I I I never got bored in this book. Oh, good. Okay, so I yeah. spent and I never and I didn't feel like it was racing on too fast either. Like I just felt like it was just that was it was the right rate. So. I spent a, probably a year, like d- d- so. You mentioned, um, and I'm going to be really cautious, but you mentioned in one of your letters to me, <clears throat> right when the book came out, or right when you were got back to me after reading the PDF, excuse me, um, you mentioned Hemingway. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a documentary recently that was a huge inspiration for me. It was just one scene in this documentary. There's a Ken Burns documentary about Hemingway. And they had 
there was like his typewritten text in the camera in that Ken Burns kind of way kind of floats in and they <clears throat> use some computer generated sort of special effect. His, his handwritten notes were in red pen. And then they did something where they must have just erased them and then played it backwards. Right. So right. Kind of looking it looks at the like thing he's and writing you can it. See his, you can kind of hear like a little pen noise of and then tick, 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 and he would cross out a long word and then write a shorter word. Yeah. And there would be two adjectives and the camera's just kind of going down. It'd be like, you know, it was a bright, sunny day. And it would just be like, whoosh, cross out the word bright. And I was like, oh, my word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. So I, I spent a year going through the book with the red pen, essentially. Mm -hmm. And just anything I could kind of like streamline down, anything I could make shorter. And, and then as it got closer and closer to being done, I was like more and more bold. I was like, now I can't it's time. Like I, I, like I can't, I can't leave him in. So I was, I was merciless as far as stripping that yeah. thing down. So. And I, I appreciate that as a reader. Like I, I, I don't, I mean, everybody has their own taste in fiction. Um, but I, I don't do well with writers who have tons and tons of description of things that are relevant to the plot or, you know, tons and tons of little historical details that we don't really need to know. And I appreciated that in your book, there isn't any of that. Like we could just get to the meat of it. Um, oh, yeah. if it wasn't the meat, man, I was like, if it was like, yeah, there, any no, it's garnish, all meat. It's it all meat. Yeah. It's any little garnish. I was like, it's gone. But at the same time, I really wanted to paint a portrait of this fictional town that was like for me, like that town was so inviting. This there's a coffee shop in the story, and a and a big chunk of the story revolves around the coffee shop. So there's characters that kind of come in and out of the coffee shop, and you're not sure who's the good guy is or who the bad guy is, and and um and it's meant to be. Like there's a point when um one character talks to the guy who runs the the guy who's <clears throat> managing the coffee shop is named Tony, and the main character is named John. And this was just like a little plot point. It was like. John says, why is the coffee so good here? And Tony fills a glass of water from the tap and hands it to the character John. And John drinks it. And he's like, is it the water? And he's like, Tony says, yeah, I think so. It's all. And so there's this little subtle conversation just about the water and 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 um, the source of the water. And I just wanted it to paint this magic picture of this town. I mean, it's meant to be a kind of fantasy book in that sense where it's this town doesn't exist. I made up right. stuff. People who live in that part of the country will say, there's there's no town in that spot. There's no bridge that fell down right there. There are bridges that have fallen down over the Colorado River, but that I just made one up and it's a fictional yeah. spot. So the strict literalists are going to find plenty of little points to go, hey, wait a minute. So, But that seems fair to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, And that's the thing, too. I really appreciate you do create this mood. You do describe that town really well to the to the point where I feel like I'm there. I can see it. I can visualize it. I can, you know, I can taste the coffee. I can smell it in the air. Um, but you do that with just using, you know, the five or 10 most important words sprinkled through the action that's taking place. So it's not like we have to get through this whole chunk of descriptive uh, prose to, to visualize the town. You just, yeah, you use one word here and there and suddenly it takes form in the imagination. And yeah, I think it's, it's very well done. So there's one point in the book where there's, it's in my blog, 
was from 2009. There was a dream I had in 2009, and I just like I stuck it right in the book. There's a scene where John, the character John, uh, hitchhikes out of town and, and gets a ride with two women, and mm-hmm. that was straight from a dream that I had. And I wrote about it in my blog, oh. and I drew pictures of it. And I remember at the time, this was very early on, not only in my blog, but let's say when people were actually putting blogs out there, blogs were sort of revolutionary at that point, and kind of. So I, that, I got a lot of comments on that, a lot of discussion about this dream. So, so wait, what happened in the dream? In the dream, you hitched a ride with somebody. In the dream, I was in a station wagon. In the story, it's a Subaru, and an owl got in the car, and I looked in the back seat. And there was the twin of the driver. I was in the passenger seat. A woman was driving. I looked in the back seat and it was a twin of the driver. And she was holding a little hummingbird in her hand. This is in my dream. In your dream. And wow. she was scared that the owl was going to get it. The owl in the dream was very tame. But the the girl in the back seat, identical to the woman in the front seat, had a little hummingbird cupped in her hands with just a little hummingbird head sticking out. And that was the dream. And that was just, it really stuck with me. It was just this, this kind of. Yeah. Cause it's, it's it's an amazing scene in the book. Like it's just, you know, reading it, you're like, well, how did he ever come up with this? And to hear you say what was a dream that makes so much sense because it has that feeling to it. Like, well, it, like so much of the book, it's like, is it a dream or is it reality? Like how much of this is in the guy's mind and how much of it is actually in the world around him? And so that, yeah, that's very interesting. That, that did, did you meet Kelly Chase at the, at the conference? Um, yeah, I had actually met her before, but I saw oh, that's her right, Cause you were there, in yeah. New York city where she did it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, she was one of the people that read the book and she also got back to me and, and was very complimentary about it. She said something, um, there's some, some I'm not going to say it, but but anyone who reads it, you should fully expect there's going to be some plot twists and some twists and turns and some fun parts in the book, and and uh, like I had really I was really like like oh I'm going to make a plot twist here and there's some big <laughs> ones, and and I asked her about like how did that work that one scene where mm, and she said oh like I was so there and it was like but it's kind of like it's kind of absurd when you think about it and she said you sprinkled just enough fairy dust along the way that you created this world where that seemed normal. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's what I was trying to do. That was yeah. so, she, she like, like I, like I felt like I succeeded. Like I felt like I was pretty bold as what I was trying to do. And no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I know what scene you're talking about. And it did have that feeling of like in a book written by a less able writer, you might say, you might, just be like oh whatever like that couldn't happen like that was that was a ridiculous thing to have happen at this point in the book but like kelly said you had you had laid the groundwork for this and so it happens and you're like oh yes <laughs> like you're just with it and you want to see what's going to happen next mm-hmm. now that this has occurred so yeah. there's a the book is told in two parts and when like on page three or something like that there's a prologue which is only a few pages long and then it says part one And there's only two parts. So, and the part two sort of is about, you know, one third of the way through. And, and just so anyone reading it, um, I mean, if there's a part one, you should fully expect there's going to be a part two, but once part two happens, it feels like the, the tenor and the pacing and the tone of the book changes completely. Mm -hmm. And 
once yeah. part two happens, so much of it is written in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like it's dial- two people having these rat tat tat rapid fire conversations. This, 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 why did this happen? Who could we get? And so that was, that was really fun for me to write the dialogue, to like script it like that and just have the dialogue do all the storytelling. Yeah. I hadn't thought about how big of a contrast there is between part one and part two, but really like he's all by himself in, in part one. I mean, well, he gets to the town and there's some interaction with people at the, towards the end of part one, but, but it's really this very introspective part of the book and then part two is very much out in the world these events that are happening and he's trying to come to grips with with them and figure out what he's going to do related to that yeah 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 and that was that was so fun to write to try to like solve as much as i could rather than having him explain it in his mind to have him which he does plenty of there's a lot of internal dialogue in his mind but at the same time he's having a having a dialogue there so um We've been going at it for a little while now, and I don't want to make this too long because this is in its way, it's a promotional thing as well as an informative thing. And, yeah. and, 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 um, so a couple of things you earlier, you mentioned that like the character, John is like hit with all these synchronicities. I never say yeah. synchronicity it doesn't show up once in the book. The word does not right. show up. Um, it's a story about cautiously. I'm going to say it's based on the research I've done into UFO abduction. There's no mention yep. of the word UFO. There's no mention of the word abduction. There's no abduction-like events that take place. There's kind of some things that imply it, but it's, wow, do I try to pull. So at this point, I've talked to thousands of people who have had, let's say, this kind of experience. And they don't talk. I don't, I, like, you read John Mack's book or you read Bud Hopkins' books, and it's all about, like, people on tables, on flying saucers. I've talked to a thousand people. I guess I've heard it a few times. Almost not mm. at all. Essentially zero. Like, so close to zero. That pop culture notion. Oh, I was on board the craft. I was on a table. I've heard those stories. But, wow, what people are telling me are like, oh, you know, I had this weird thing happen. This, like, this synchronicity that just, like, is out of the bounds of normal coincidence. And it happens to me all the time. That is what I'm hearing. And that is when people are struggling, I meet people and they're struggling with their experiences and they're not struggling with memories of being on a table or being on a flying saucer. They're struggling about like living in this haunted coincident prone world that just, mm-hmm. that just overwhelms yeah. them. And that was what I was trying to express in the book. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you do express, what you enable the reader to feel. Like, because anybody who has had that kind of experience where you're just, yeah, you're you're confronted with these synchronistic experiences over and over again and, and to the level where... There's just no normal way to explain it. You cannot, um, you can't explain those experiences in the normal terms that you have for the way of thinking about the world. There's no way to, to make those things match up. And one of the things that uh, that I've experienced and that I hear a lot of other people talk about is like, there's a point where you're like, am I going crazy? Like, because there's, there's so much emotional charge to it too. Like the things that are happening aren't just like, are there things that have importance to you and have like psychological importance? So you, ha- your whole 
self, your whole being is somehow caught up in, in what's happening. And you're seeing physical events that are supposedly external to you sort of mirroring back to you these internal states that you have. And that's not supposed to happen in this world. That's, we're, we're taught that's not supposed to happen. We're also taught that that's a sign of mental illness, right? You, um, and so, so you have to use like start wondering, well, am I, am I misperceiving the world? But there's this really unsettling feeling of trying to gauge what is real and what is not and what you can trust in your own intuition and what you can't trust. And that is really present in the book. And I, I don't know, John himself, at least as I remember, he doesn't, he doesn't really seem to ask those questions explicitly so much. He just kind of is going along with it, uh, at least in the early parts of the book that I've just reread. Um, but I feel like as the reader, I am asking those questions for him because the whole book starts out with him in a mental hospital and he starts explaining to this doctor who's come in to talk to him what has happened to him and and so the whole narrative that follows is is the story of someone in a mental hospital and so in the back of my mind the whole time i'm reading it like okay like all this weird stuff is happening did it really happen that way is he is he telling the story this way because he wants it to be true? So you're in that same limbo place where all of your familiar like points of reference have dropped away and you just have to follow where the story takes you and, and see how it's going to turn out. And I feel like that's exactly what you have to do in real life when you're confronted with these, these extraordinary events at a certain point, you you have to make a choice. Okay, am I going to just like follow it and see where it goes? Or am I not? And that's a really difficult existential choice because it implies risk on your part. Um, and, and you kind of, you're making this really deep decision about whether you're going to put your, who you are on the line for for these experiences or to, to try to understand those experiences better. And this book, this book allows, it allowed me to relive that sort of existential choice through his story. And I mm -hmm. think it's, it's like, it's kind of, I think it's cathartic in a way for people who have experienced that kind of thing in their own life to, to be able to relive it, you know, with some remove from the story because you know obviously it, it, this is fiction but based on based on a lot of real events mm -hmm. and and so allows us to kind of process what's happened to happened to us in yet another way and in a deeply emotional almost archetypal way like mm -hmm. yeah oh the archetype thing is something that i like took very seriously so yeah. as far as i mean the guy walking into the desert is like that's right. like at the core of like Christianity in a lot of ways. So the guy disappears yeah. in the desert and has his like his walking meditation mm -hmm. for it's an unknown amount of time. Um, yeah. So let me just a couple things. So it does start out in the mental hospital. So when it a comic book, well, this thing was a comic book, right? Started out as a comic book. That was my whole 
like that's a perfect opening in a comic book. Yeah. Right. The spooky <laughs> mental institution and the guy's gone through this crisis and we're not sure what the story is. And, and he has a conversation with the doctor and it's a little bit of a clash, you know, the, and that's about six pages that opening yeah. prologue. Yeah, it's not much. And that's, that's, you can go on to Amazon, right? So when it loads it up and it says, you know, look inside and you, so you can read that first prologue and it goes pretty quick. It's doesn't, it's yeah. like, 10 minutes to read that or less. And it sets up the story in a very, like I did it on purpose. Like I really wanted to be bold in that kind of, that kind of way, like how, you know, where the story was going and more than one person got back to me after having read it, that there's like a conversation between the doctor and this character that is John, but isn't John. <laughs> and it's, mm -hmm. I won't get into that here, but, and, and they were like, all of a sudden there's like the jumps back to the conversation of the doctor and the doctor goes, right, wait, what happened? Did, did that really happen? And then John goes, yeah, it really happened. And so, and then people were like, well, I forgot all about the doctor. Yeah. Like I was so lost in the plot. I forgot that he was like explaining all this stuff to a doctor. So the story doesn't work perfectly, but the story is told essentially the, it's meant to be like the transcribed interview he had with the doctor. You don't want to be too literal with that, but that's the implication that the yeah. story you're reading is the transcribed. Right. But story. you, you do lose, you lose track of that. I lost track of that as I was reading it, which I think is great because, because you want the reader to lose track of that. You want them to be so involved in the story that then when they remember, oh, wait, he's telling this to a doctor in a mental hospital, it's a little bit of a jolt. I, I, I think that's, I think that's genius. Okay. Well, I, I mean, the interview with a vampire by Anne Rice uses it. And there's a, a little big man by, I think, Larry McMurtry uses something very, very similar too. So I didn't, I was cheating yeah. a little bit. I was like, I like those books. I'm going to do that too. So, uh, and um, you were complimentary to my writing style in the beginning, because I have written nonfiction. And it's interesting because I wrote nonfiction, like The Messengers as a book is, is a very emotional book. It's a nonfiction book, but it's like, I was writing from an emotional place in that book. So that feels like mm -hmm. an emotional book. And when I was writing my blog in the early years, sort of putting myself out there with these experiences, those are really emotional posts. Like basically I was using the blog format as a public forum to ask, am I going insane? And it wasn't from, it wasn't from like UFO events, really. It was from synchronistic events. Mm -hmm. So I got, for better or for worse, I got good at writing about my own feelings. So when it came time to write the book, like it was just second nature for me, just like, I'm going to go for it. Like, I'm yeah. really going to make this, I use the term mushy. That might not be the right vocabulary word, but I tried to make it very, very emotional. And I gave myself permission to like, like no, I wasn't writing about half an emotion. Like I didn't like, I, did, I wasn't going to go kind of up to the line and step back. Like I was going to, I did my very best to like mm, step over that line and just like, just mm, push myself, like really go for it. I don't know how else to mm -hmm. say it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the whole book has that emotional depth to it, I think, because of your willingness to do that. It's, if it, it feels real. The book feels real and it's certainly not real. It's certainly not real. But, it's still totally a fake story. But it, yeah. But but it but but the point like the point of really good fiction is that it can feel even more real than real life. Mm -hmm. And 
And that's, that's what this book does. It, it allows us to, to experience those, those synchronistic and otherwise extraordinary events along with John, but to do it in a way that's even more, where we're even more present and aware of the, the vast, the vastness of the, the possible meaning that is floating behind these events in a way that you can't, that you can't do when you're living them in real life for the first time, because there's so much else that's going on and so many other emotions that are there and, you know, all of the other stuff about daily life that you're worried about. But in that book, you can just fully sink into those emotions of what it's like to be going through that. And it, you get, you get a depth and a richness that, you know, you, we get for fleeting moments in real life, but the book allows us to kind of settle there and really mm -hmm. appreciate it. Thank you. I really tried to saturate the book with that kind of mood. Yeah. And that was like a, that was fully intentional. Like I wanted that book to just be dripping with that kind of emotional urgency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, this has been awesome. I want to thank you so much. And um, what are, what's going on with you? And if, what are you working on lately? And Oh, something that is <laughs> the complete other end of the literary spectrum from this. Um, I'm, back to doing analytic philosophy these days and writing a book in philosophy of mind and, um, and metaphysics of ethics. So, uh, so it, it actually is, it's a very nice change to have a break from that and, you know, read some fiction because I'm not in that headspace most of the time. It's just very analytical, almost mathematical work most of the time right now. But, but stuff that has to do with, sigh and extraordinary events and how mm -hmm. we might ultimately be able to integrate those into our scientific understanding of the world. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And I will keep you updated on all this. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to help me process this book for myself, because I'm still kind of mystified of what I did. And then also, like, I like this book, and I want people to read it. I want it to be popular. I want it, you know, popular in the sense that, like, you know, people seem to be responding really well to it. And I, that's really, really gratifying yeah. for me. Yeah. I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding a, a large audience for this book. It's, it's that's, yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. This is Mike and I'm chiming in at the end of this video. I just wanted to let people know how grateful I am that they have taken the time to watch this and and listen to the conversation between Sharon and I. So if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. This is Mike. I'm chiming in again at the end. A couple things. I just want to make sure that everyone knows that my book, The Unseen, is very easy to get online. Simply go to Amazon. There's a link in the show notes below. Also, I said the book Little Big Man was written by Larry McMurtry. I was 100% wrong. That book, which I read mm, somewhere in the 1980s, was written by Thomas Berger. And I feel I should clarify that now. So there you have it. Now, once again, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.